FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Burn, baby, burn. Marvel and burn, no. Burn, baby, burn. Marvel and burn, no. Marvel Inferno! <laughs> ah, the glory of podcasting. No one but Andrew knows that I just pointed at him with the mouth wide open. But, hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that goes snicked. We're your snicked. host, Jason, a soul on a skunk hair, Venable. And I'm joined by, this is one of my favorites ever, Andrew Juice up your glow, bro, Autry. Nice. Juice up your glow, bro. Bro. <laughs> and we're here finally, the long-awaited Marathon Inferno flashback episode is ready for your ears. Indeed. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. So I have before me a giant stack of comic books. And we're going to rip through them at breakneck speeds. Well, we'll see. That's the goal. <laughs> so we have a lot to cover and we'll we'll talk about it and focus on some Wolverine. But before we get there, two things. Hey, how's it going, man? It is going well. I am ready to do this. Awesome. I read all of these about, a, what, a month and a half ago? Yeah. <laughs> so, see how well we all remember everything. Yes, this could be a train wreck. <laughs> I was looking through some of my notes, and I'm like, uh, what? The problem is, um, when I'm making notes for the podcast, it's my handwriting, right? Which is not great. And so usually it doesn't matter because I'm close enough to the source that I can figure out what I was trying to write. Some of these I may just, you know, tell you guys I don't know what I wrote, and we'll just go with it. But um, anyway, uh, before we get into it full swing, uh, the last time Andrew was on, we did our Road to Inferno podcast, and we kind of did a little, kind of the setup for Inferno. We won't, we won't go into that too much, but John Wilson, who's one of our uh, steady listeners, uh one of my favorite people to interact with. He's been on before as well. Um, anyway, he had a, uh, what was a very fair criticism in that as much as we jibber-jabbered last time, we kind of skipped over the only part that had Wolverine in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it it's potentially a fair criticism yeah. for the podcast that goes snick. Yep, yep. So, Mr. Wilson, I, yeah, 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 um, to answer, yes, I think that that would have probably tore Wolverine up pretty bad to uh, to not only kind of have to come to terms with the fact that he kind of kind of maybe knew that Gene was alive, but then to be confronted by Storm, who's one of his closest teammates, about it would have been fairly difficult to go through. So it was a, a nice scene and a powerful moment, and sorry we didn't. Spend a little more time on it. That said, I can't promise we won't do that again. <laughs> yeah. I was planning to bog down on a power pack for at least an hour and a half. <laughs> well, that's going to be all you. I don't actually have those issues. But, um, yeah, so, uh, do you have the you have the playlist in front of you? I need to pull that up. 
I do. The first one up where we pick up oh. after Road to Inferno is Exterminators number three. Yes, I have all mine in order, but there's a few I'm missing, so it'll be up to well, you actually, again. Yeah, to, to clarify, I have the playlist in the order of the comics I have. Okay. Not right. necessarily in the playlist of the comics in total. <laughs> okay. I am missing a few. Well, uh, do you have the Cloak and Dagger? I do not. Do not. Okay, so we're going to skip that all together. Uh, one of our listeners can can write in and tell us what they think about it if they so choose. I, I bet it involves demons. Probably involves demons, and if I remember my cloak and dagger correctly, it probably involves some kind of street drug. <laughs> I feel like they always spot street drug thugs, but um. Right, and cloak is generally he probably was very needy, yeah. and dagger was very understanding. Yeah, there you go, summed up. Okay, so uh, are there any Fantastic Four left in this bunch? Um, looking down my list I don't have any listed okay you talked about one last time so we'll just go with that um, so when we get to power pack in your list just stop me and we'll see how we compare to, to my list alright All right. so first up exterminators number 3 basically talking agrees to build Mr. Nasty a computer with a quote unquote spell checker if he agrees to spare Artie and Leech and take care of the babies. But really, he's just stalling, obviously. But he has to show progress to keep the kids safe. The exterminators arrive to rescue, but are captured. Taki's computer works, and Mr. Nasty casts a spell over the epicenter of evil, which was 80s New York City Times Square. We also find out Nasty is using Sim because he can't spell. You can't complete a spell without them. So they're kind of using each other. Yep. All right. Anything else to say on that one? You covered it. All right. So next up is New Mutant 71. Um, Andrew, you are a New Mutants expert. Um, I don't have much to say about this. What do you, you have anything you want to throw out there? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the crux of this is Ileana Rasputin becomes the dark child which means she kind of succumbs to the darkness inside her. And the, the the basic gist of the issue is that she's tricked into opening a portal so that Limbo can get to Earth, which is really what kicks off Inferno proper, because that yeah. portal from Limbo to Earth is what all the, all the Limbo demons come through, and all Limbo breaks loose in New York City. <laughs> nice uh, poor Manchu there. Um, all right. Uh, anything else you want to say on that one? I mean, that that's it. The the, the dark child persona ends up, I'd say, being important because it keeps coming back in comics for the next, you know, the thirty years after. Yeah. It, it, it's a recurrent theme, but uh, yeah. Is this I mean, the that's first it. time that's, we see it? Uh, you've been seeing hints of it up to this okay. point, where little things will happen. This is the first time it, she just completely goes full dark okay. child. Cool. All right, next up is X-Factor 36. While Beast and Iceman with Trish Chilby, that's the best part, by the way, rescue people from demonic Manhattan, Scott and Jean search for baby Summers. This time he's Christopher. Jean, whose telepathy is returning, has established a psychic rapport with the baby somehow and knows that it was kidnapped by demons and taken to New York City. They arrive at the same time as the pentagram in the sky and the army of demons. All of X-Factor, including Archangel, come together to fight demons and find babies. 
You nailed it. All right. So now we're going to get to our first Wolverine appearance of the episode, which will be Uncanny X-Men 240. This is written by Chris Claremont, of course. Penciled by Mark Silvestri. Inked by Dan Green. Colors by Glennis Oliver. Lenders by Tom Orzakowski. This chapter is Strike the Match, a fitting title for the first uncanny chapter of Inferno. And he even says in the t- little title box, Inferno, excuse me, Inferno Part the First, which was a weird thing Claremont did on all these chapters. Um, our cover is by Mark Silvestri. Um, on it, the top half is great. And Sabretooth is great, but the other Marauders, not so much. You know, for a cover, generally your cover is where you're going to spend a lot of time to trying to sell the uh-huh. issue. Right. This looks like it was the last thing he did and he was trying <laughs> to meet a deadline. Yeah, it does. It's, it's sloppy. Yeah, I do like the little wording, though. It says, Naster, Mr. Sinister, the Goblin Queen, the Marauders, this one's got it all, and boy does it. Um... All right, so as quickly as I can, Alex and Madeline are inexplicably on a date in an abandoned nightclub in New York City. They run into some cheesy Ghostbuster ripoffs that were studying the growing Empire State Building. They get eaten by the elevator, and the architecture is possessed. Alex and Madeline uh, teleport home to the outback, but just as quickly, Gateway sends Madeline to an undisclosed location. Madeline went to yell at Jean's tombstone as the Goblin Queen. <laughs> she turns Jean's parents into demons and reminds Neaster of his place. He is to find her son. Dazzler catches Longshot Disco roller skating with another woman and throws a rogue through the wall, ruining Colossus' attempt to draw a nude Psylocke. Havoc uses quote unquote computers to locate the Marauders in Morlock Alley. Nationalist leads Madeline to Nebraska and the orphanage where she finds uh, a something. Oh, a startling discovery about her origin. That was one of those times where I couldn't read my notes. Um, the Marauders are setting up shop there uh, in the sewer digs until the X-Men show up and kick their tails. The Marauders escape, however, with the knowledge now that the X-Men are alive. The X-Men are then shocked to see Manhattan Inferno-style. Back in Nebraska, Mr. Sinister introduces himself to Madeline as her father, to which case she goes, No! It can't be! (laughs) I'll never rule the universe with you! Um, so, as far Sorry, as... That was, that was me doing Bill and Ted, doing Luke, <laughs> doing Mr. Sinister. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a long connection trail there. That was awesome, though. That was awesome. Um... Oh, Alexa got confused. I must have said something that resembled the word Alexa. Um... Was that, was that your... your... Siri is Alexa? My Echo Dot, yeah, our, our Echo Dot. Um, so I have a note here on page 15 that Rogue and Psylocke make <laughs> one... I hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> what on? I don't know. Alexa, hey, Alexa. Shut up. All right. I have... I don't understand what... My house doing. doesn't talk to me. 
Yeah, I know, right? You're lucky. Oh. You wanna. So on page 16, after uh, where uh, Colossus, by the way, in his metal form, is trying to draw Psylocke nude, and Rogue crashes in through the wall and lands in the bed, Psylocke. Can I get. Top half. Can I ask. Go ahead, finish your thought, and then I'll say, ask. Psylocke's top half and Rogue's butt make one body. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Why in the heck is he armored up to draw? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it hides his... Um... Nah, yeah, yeah, wherever you were going with that, you know. <laughs> you know, he doesn't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of... There's a lot of where Sylvester was headed in this issue. Yeah. Um, and then there's some really cool stuff, like on uh, page 20, the where Wolverine's lighting a cigarette, the way it's uh, the light's shining on his face. Yes. And yeah, that's it's a, a cool, that's it's, a, it's a, a tiny panel, but it is cool looking. It's an awesome you want panel. a light bulb. Yeah, as opposed to page 17 where he has a cigarette and we have Squishy Face. Squishy Face Wolverine. Yeah, he... he he strangely looks a little bit like Kyle Skaggs, which means nothing to your audience, but, but he does. Oh, Kyle, I hope you're listening. It's Wolver Skaggs. Yep. I also, going back to the panel you were mentioning, Wolverine says, you want a light, bub? Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Good 80s one-liners. All right. Um, anything else I didn't cover you want to talk about? Oh, no, that's it. That's a... You know, you're getting uh, you're getting the starting to reveal the the Madeline story, and you know setting up the X Men why they're going to be in Manhattan. Yep, because they needed to be there. Yep, all the Wolverine moments are pretty much um, him just being badass and getting ready to fight. Yep. Uh, so the art I thought was really good overall. There was a little bit of weird panels every now and then. Uh, the story brings the X Men into Inferno nicely. The only thing I didn't really like that I thought was gravely missing from this issue, based on the cast we have, there was no Wolverine versus Sabretooth. When the X-Men fight the Marauders, Wolverine fights other people and Sabretooth fights other people. Which I think was probably an intentional choice on by Claremont to not make this part of Inferno just Wolverine versus Sabretooth, which, you know, when they fight kind of eats up a lot of the book. So he probably did that on purpose, but... um. Uh, Madeline's arc is definitely the most interesting. I gave Uncanny X-Men number 245 out of six claws. Did you have a, have a grade for it? Yeah, I went a little bit lower. I went four. Okay. I kind of, you know, I was listening to one of your other recent episodes where you and Denise were talking about, uh, the depiction of females in comic books and, you know, Sylvester, he's definitely, uh, He's definitely one of those. Uh, yeah. Not a not a fan of a lot of what he did in this one. Just kind of angles chosen, things <laughs> like that. It kind of brought it down a claw for me. Okay. But as far as the story, you know, at this point, it's really getting rolling. At this point, you're getting interested. What's right. happening here? What's going on with Madeline? You're finally starting to get that reveal a little bit. It's a uh, story was great. Art was good, but bothered me a little bit so oh, going well, with you, you'll probably have more of the same in the next one um it is more of the same okay uh i forget did i tell you to do 241 
You did not, but I can. Okay, cool. Yeah, why don't you? All right, so starting off on the cover, you get... Oh, well, I guess at the credits first. Uh, either either order is fine. Yeah, I'll do the, I'll do the cover first. So you get full Goblin Queen uh, Madeline Pryor holding out her her bat cape with yeah. two uh, two Inferno demons underneath, and a third demon down below holding a baby. And it yes. says on the cover, "A son for the Goblin Queen." Yeah. So my gripes with the Goblin Queen costume aside. I think this otherwise is a fantastic cover. Yeah, that's the only thing I don't like. I've, I've not, that, I think my uh, my feelings on the Goblin Queen costume, both um, from a, a moral standpoint <laughs> and from a physics standpoint, have been uh, have been documented already. So uh, classic underboob. I actually I actually really like the um, the way the cape looks. The way the yeah. rat. The dangling, creating kind of a cavern. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it makes you say, "Hey, Sylvester should do a bat book." Yeah, actually, actually, that'd probably be pretty good. So, as far as the credits for the book, you get Claremont, Sylvester, Dan Green, <laughs> and the great Tom Orzakowski on letters, and and uh, the great Glennis Oliver on colors. So, uh, so yeah, and basically. The really, really short version is you finally get the Madeline complete origin story. Uh, you know, as Mr. Sinister reveals a lot of what's been going on. You get, you know, the X-Men starting to be impacted by what's going on with Inferno, where it's messing with a lot of their emotions. They're starting to turn a little dark. Interestingly, their costumes transform with them as they... As they start to go dark, right. uh, Colossus is impervious, which is interesting. In his metal form, he's apparently impervious to the effects of Inferno, so he's not going dark. Oh no, metal is the enemy of magic, right? It is, and uh, you know, and Madeline gets gets more and more powerful as the issue goes on. Eventually, reconnecting with her son. So that's a super short version. Yeah, well, uh, we can go through with some more some specifics. What do you want to add first? Uh, let's talk a little bit because it's gonna plays such a huge part in this story. Let's you kind of mentioned that we get Madeline's full origin. So what's uh let's flesh that out just a little bit. Yeah. For people that don't know. So basically, um it's revealed that she is a clone of Jean Grey. She has some of Jean's memories, which is interesting. Um and then but when Sinister realized that they had a son because like, basically he was trying to recreate kind of this super mutant, right? Um, God. But somehow some little piece of the phoenix, like, when look, went looking for Jean and found Madeline instead, right? So she's got a little bit of phoenix going on. Um, this is, I'm doing a ter- terrible job with this. Can you... <laughs> You got anything better? <laughs> no, I mean that that is what it is. Is you know, it looked like it was gonna be a disappointment, but the Phoenix did find a spark in her. And yeah. I think that's why you're starting to see that she's getting uh much more powerful than expected because Sinister kind of didn't think there was really anything to worry about here. Right. And uh at the end she kind of surprises him. He even says, Impossible as she breaks loose from his chains and busts free and reclaims her baby. 
And mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because, I mean, at this point, Sinister is a pretty new character, right? I mean, he doesn't have a long history like he does now. But you're not used to seeing things not go according to his plans. Right, yeah, exactly. And he's uh, genuinely surprised here about what happens. Yeah. So we get to see some of the kind of the, the more humorous side of Sylvester with Inferno. Uh, there's a part where a mailbox is eating a guy's hand saying, insufficient postage, insufficient postage. <laughs> and there's yeah, a right pot- below that, you get a fire hydrant exactly. with an arm. Just whapping a poor little dog on the head saying, don't ever do that again. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. So, Like I said, there's some things about Silvestri I don't like. When he does humorous things, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Because there's a lot of energy in the way he draws it. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Also, he draws... um, I guess there was a toy store or something. Since everything is evil, there's a rat saw at... Excuse me, a rats are us pet shop, and we see uh see some really great panels of the cops on the demons. Um, Wolverine, you know, looks really nice. There's a really um on page thirteen where Wolverine slices prison is really really cool looking. It's kind of small and in the background of the panel, but it looks really nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you almost don't even notice it because the main action is the Havoc shot. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wolverine does get his snicked on uh, 16. Yes, a, and it's a great um, snick. It's a wanna bet snicked. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, because it's, uh, it's the another mailbox has eaten a person whose feet are sticking out of its mouth. Then Wolverine pops the claws. Uh it slices it open, and that's more of the great the the face on the mailbox when he's slicing it open. It's just fantastic. Yes, it's really nice. Wolverine versus the mailbox. That's one of the main fights of the issue. Keep that in mind. Um. <laughs> I I think it's one of like if you were going to do a top listing of Wolverine epic battles, let's <laughs> make the list. Yeah, I mean he guts that thing. He does. The letters come spilling out and everything. And there's a talking postage stamp. It's like, help me. Well, yeah, that's the guy that was eaten. Oh, he, it uh, is. Yes, you're yeah. absolutely right. He's not actually freed. He, he became a postage stamp. Yes. After he got eaten. Um, but, well, and then you start getting when the X-Men start turning dark. On page 20, Wolverine looks feral. Yes, and, uh, his... Uh, his Hat fins get all torn up. And you get some, at least in this panel, I don't think they last. But it looks like he has like, almost like a bug jaw where he's got these big like fins. A, yeah, under underbite, big old like dog teeth coming yeah. up. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's some pretty sweet stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, um, uh, the Madeline arc, how she's just, kind of fully embraced the darkness and the and the power yeah. you know closing with the lines in inferno that will consume you all right. you know, she's got her baby back it's a uh, baby back baby back baby back and the look on her face in that last panel just it, it's a uh, just really sadistic and yeah. scary yeah, that's nice. so on page 24 and 25 we have two great shadow shots of wolverine 
especially the one on page 25 with a close-up on his face, where you still see the yellow and brown of his costume, but his face is all in black except for his teeth and mouth. It looks really, really good. Yeah, it's one thing I also thought was nice. You know, I know that we like to bash Dazzler on here, even though John loves her. Yeah. Um, the I love that her going dark is basically her just getting yeah. super, super vain. Yeah, that was a nice touch. <laughs> that it's just her looking in the mirror all the time, worrying about right. her appearance. All right, help me out if you remember or not, and and other listeners can also remind me afterwards. But um. I thought there was a previous story where Longshot was immune to some stuff because he didn't have a soul. That sounds familiar. Right. So how does the demon here eat his soul on page 25 if he didn't have one? Well, you would logically say if you're remembering correctly and he doesn't have a soul, his soul can't be eaten. Right. So, I don't know. That's That was weird. But anyway, that was kind of the only thing I, I thought was kind of weird. It didn't really add up for me. Um, so, yeah, I thought the story and art were both so good. What did you, how did you feel? Oh, I mean, same here. I have the exact same Sylvester complaints as the last issue. Don't need to go into those. But the actual art, like the kinetic energy of the art in this issue is, is just outstanding. Everything yeah. looks like it's moving. Right. All the fight scenes are they jump off the page at you. It's really, really, really good. I concur. So what did you I'll let you go first this time. What did you grade Uncanny X Men two forty one? Uh this one I did go five out of six. Okay. I'm gonna my go. only my only gripe being the, the same over sexy art. Alright, cool. I actually went six out of six on this one. This may have been my Overall favorite issue of the bunch, though some of the ends of it are really good too. So, but yeah, that was that was about a perfect issue for me. All right, so what I have this next? Is, this, oh, this is where I had power pack, but I don't know if I'm missing something else before the power pack. You know what? Let's do let's do. Um, I had those then exterminators four. Okay, let's do power pack right before exterminators. I think that sounds right in my memory. So real fast, we have an issue with Daredevil, number 263. Uh, Matt has a love triangle that busts right open as Mary and Karen both visit him in the hospital. Awkward. Daredevil fights a demonic subway train. Karen, heartbroken, returns to drugs. Demons take over the Kingpin's operation. By the way, this is pretty good. <laughs> oh. By the way, this is pretty good. That's nice. Yeah. Because I, I, oh, I, I made a note, it's, it's in part of Anna Sinti's run, which is very up and down, but this one was not bad. Um, so next up, we have Avengers 299 and Avengers 300. Um, basically, these together, the captain, who is Steve Rogers at this point in history, helps the new mutants for a second. Nanny and Orphan Maker kidnap Franklin Richards. So that'll, that'll play into the story. Uh, Reed and Sue track them with Cap's help, but Nanny put Franklin in armor to fight his parents. After defeating, as we move into 300, after defeating Nanny and Orphan Maker, Reed works on a way to free Franklin from the armor, but Neaster spirits him away. The demons remove him from the armor and plan to use him. 
Thor joins the fun as our new group of Avengers rescue Franklin and destroy the pentagram in the sky that is the demon portal. After more fighting, a new Avengers team is born. There's also a nice nifty recap of, of Avengers number one by Walter Simonson. All right. So just kind of that we pull the main gist of that besides the Avengers new team kind of stuff that happens is that it pulls Franklin Richards into the story. Which I think should tie into your power pack stuff, right? Um no, I don't think no? it does. Oh, okay. He at was least, he was in that book a lot, so I thought. All right. All right, yeah. go ahead with the power pack. I'm, okay, I'll keep this super, super short. Uh, yeah. This is where the first two out of three, the, the third power pack doesn't come till right at the very end okay. of the whole Inferno. But so for these two, this power pack number 42, um, essentially it's, it's, it's really dark. My daughter loves power pack. I haven't let her read these <laughs> particular ones yet because it's a – it's dark and kind of creepy. The cover's gross with like this nasty, nasty oh, wow. face on it. Look at that. Like, Big old boogers. Like boogers and eye slime. So the basic gist of it is the parents find out the kids are power pack. Uh, this story centers around Carmody, who was a kind of a big player in the whole power pack storyline. Uh, he's a bigot. Um, <laughs> okay. Basically... He hates Power Pack. Because of Inferno, he gets demon powers and goes nuts. Then that leads into Power Pack number 43, where the kids save their parents. They fight Inferno demons. That's, you know, that's uh, really all it centers around. They save their parents. They fight off demons. And their parents at this point still know that they're Power Pack. And uh, also the kids were like sick through these and their apartments all gross and getting infernoed and uh, okay. it's a, uh, that, that's, that's the nice short version of those first two power pack tie-ins. It does, it does tie in. It is really central to the story and they actually did make it tie into the larger power pack universe pretty well, okay. but, uh, but it's still not particularly good. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. All right, so we're going to end the Exterminator series. Exterminator number four. Artie and Leech unplug the magical computer so the Exterminators get free and join the new mutants to try and save the babies from the magical pentagram in the sky. Neaster and CM fight, and Neaster steals the Transmo techno-organic virus to bond with the computer and keep the portal open. But talking blows up somehow, and... Neaster also blows up, question mark, saving the babies and closing the gateway to Inferno. Sam and his demon hordes are still on Earth. I think the most interesting thing about this issue, and I won't say a whole lot about it, is that as I was reading this, I was looking at my stack of comics, and I was like, whoa, this feels like it's almost over, and I still have a whole lot to read. <laughs> yep. And so... Obviously, a whole lot more still happens, but as far as like the whole baby Inferno thing, or I mean the the portal thing with the actual demons coming over, like it wraps up kind of quick. Yeah, absolutely. I had the exact same feeling. And having when I when I originally read most of the 
Inferno stuff. It was the Exterminators and New Mutants pieces. And I didn't, at that point, have much of the X-Men or X-Factor. So I kind of thought this was just about <laughs> it, with a little bit of tie-up. Right. Um, whereas there's still a lot of story to go. Oh, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, but that'll lead directly into New Mutants number 72, guest starring the Exterminators. So what do we got there? All right, well, more or less, this is happening at the exact same time as Exterminators number four. So, like, the story is concurrent, but this one's more from the New Mutants uh, point of view. You do find out that Nasty is still alive. Uh, and basically, the, the, most of this issue is Ileana fighting against the darkness inside her as the, uh, you know, as the overall story continues she travels through the city. She's trying to break free. Um, you get some really kind of, you get some silly Brett Blevins art. Um, <laughs> some creepy stuff. Uh, but I mean, that's essentially it. Is She's trying to break free of the darkness. Um, Nasty is now completely techno-organic virused out, just like Sim was. Um, and at the end, you know, she, she, re she's rejected nasty, but, uh, it kind of, it, it ends really creepy where she's, uh, kind of at her wits end. And then, um, uh, Sim is sitting there watching her huddled up on the floor. So, you know, there's more to come there. Right. All right. So next up, we have a three issue run of Spider-Man. Um, That'll mostly center around the Hobgoblin story. Um, in Spectacular, number 147, Hobgoblin makes a deal with the devil. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole lot of other, like, tie-ins to the Spectacular subplots, but as far as Inferno, that's all you need to know. Um, in Web of Spider-Man, number 48, Hobgoblin attacks Spidey with his new demon powers while Spidey looks for MJ. Spidey defeats Demo Goblin and finds his wife. That one is, has a great cover, by the way. Um, you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, went, you went dark for a second. Yeah, no, the Spec Spider. This is a. This is where Hobbs gets his demon power. I mean, yeah. it's a. Uh, I like J. Jonah Jameson fighting demons with a bat or a piece of wood. Right. And so our last one is Amazing Spider-Man three thirteen. In a comedy of errors, Peter and MJ arrive in Queens to check on Aunt May, but Aunt May went to Manhattan to look for Peter. Uh oh. Uh, Spidey swings back into town, but Aunt May comes home because the buses are down. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Manhattan, Spidey fights a giant spider blimp and the wizard. For a split second, I thought you actually had written a poem you were going to go through because you had a <laughs> rhyme flow going there. So, I'm, I got excited. I was about to give you a beat. Nice. Ooh, ooh, ah. <laughs> we snap, snap in approval. Um, yeah, so, uh, I thought the spider 
story of the Inferno. It was pretty interesting. Pretty good books. Um, of course, can't ever go wrong with McFarlane art. And while the 90s will bring us some pretty horrible Demo Goblin stories, the origin of the Hobgoblin getting his demon powers is actually pretty interesting. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is one of the better tie-ins to, to an event uh, maybe ever. It's just really well done. It's true to Spider-Man. It doesn't feel forced. And it has lasting implications for the characters. Yeah, yeah, really good. So that's going to bring us to New Mutant 73, the stunning conclusion of the Iliana saga. It's a double-sized spectacular. Double-sized. Yeah. Classic cover. This is one of my favorite New Mutants covers ever. Yeah, it's really cool. I know we're not going to... You know, too in-depth, but it's Colossus holding a broken dark child. There's, like, fire in the background and ash in the sky. And you have the new mutants in the background looking just defeated. It's a great cover. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, yeah, it's... it's. Uh, I'm a big fan of this one. Cause I, I remember distinctly when I got this, seeing that cover and being like, what? is going on <laughs> i like how it's called the stunning conclusion of the iliana saga yeah so like within inferno they're thinking of this as kind of her story arc right and, and it is it is her story arc she got you know this is her saving the day uh you know she were this is this is the issue where she returns the demons to limbo um and what's real it, it's actually a really nice conclusion because they, what they did with what they did with the character is they basically took her as far as they possibly could into darkness. Right. Where because of things that had happened to her in limbo when she was a child, all the stuff that had gone on, she had this just dark kind of broken persona that she couldn't really seem to get away from. And it just had taken over. And that yeah. was, you know, that was the crux of the story is that it had taken over. And the way this story concludes, the way, you know, she breaks free she wins she sends everybody back it results in her becoming again the little child she was before all the stuff happened with her going yeah. to limbo that was really interesting yeah and it it basically boy and she even uh, like doesn't even fully know english again right like it's, it's right yeah she's like, just a little russian girl yeah um it if you ever just, you know, this this is just take notes, comic book writers. If you want to do a reset on someone, here's how you can do it within the story. Make <laughs> it make sense and uh, undo all the terrible things you've done. Right. You know, and you Brand don't have day. to bring in Mephisto. <laughs> yeah, use other demons. <laughs> yeah, you can use other demons to get it done. The one one important <laughs> note, though, at the end is Naster is still around in New York. He yes. didn't get sent back. That's that, important. That would definitely play. I will say, um, this was my first time to read, uh, I guess what we'll call the Ileana Saga ever, and it really kind of made me appreciate magic as a character, um, which I really never thought too much about her before, so I really enjoyed reading this arc. I Honestly, I like her much better during the New Mutants era than I do as a character now. I could care less about her, what's going on with her now, like reading Extraordinary X-Men and oh, stuff. Well, I just I just don't care. That's just a bad book. Um, <laughs> I did like her a lot back in that era, though. Yeah. 
All right. Well, next up we have Daredevil 265. Um, basically, Daredevil fights demons until Inferno leaves New York. That's all you need to know. <laughs> um, let's see. Then we have uh, two issues of Excalibur, number six and number seven. Um, I only made one one note on this. Okay. I have a couple Alan of Alan Davis is fantastic. Alan Davis is fantastic. That is very true. Um, there's a little bit of tie-in. So Rachel hears Nathan psychic cry and flies to New York. She mistakes Madeline for mommy and is captured. Excalibur follow her to New York where Megan becomes the goblin princess. Um, so after Ileana Ileana youngifies, Kitty inherits a soul sword, which she uses to defeat the goblin princess as Inferno ends in the background. So those are actually, I've, uh, I talked about one of the issues a a few, probably several episodes ago. This is my first time to read Excalibur, and I've been enjoying the heck out of it. So, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It really is. And man, I you know, like I said, Alan Davis is fantastic. The art in these is so cool, and it's so fun. Yeah. And uh, I I really really liked this, and it it's weird and creepy with the mannequins walking around <laughs> and all the just. I really liked it. I thought it was great. Yeah. I agree. Is not essential to the bigger story, but a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. We we actually flew pretty good. I'm I'm proud of us. Um. <laughs> so yeah, can we pause for one second? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'll be right back. All right. Okay. So, actually, that kind of wraps up the. Limbo kind of first act of Inferno because all we have left is the actual X-Men story. Which we'll yeah, and a couple of, couple of last tie-ins. Okay, yeah. Do you want to do those first and end? With... Not, yeah, let's just get them out of the way because yeah. they're not... There was the spectacular Spider-Man. There was another spectacular? I had 148 down here. Did you oh. not? No, I didn't, but that's the one with Carry On, right? I think so. It's the one we're on the cover. Ned Leeds and Gwen Stacy are coming out of the grave. Oh, it's right, the right, Night right. of the Living Ned. Yeah, that wasn't on my reading list. I read it, though. Yeah, it's the Night of the Living Ned. The demons pretend to be Ned Leeds. Okay. Flash Thompson fights them off. Um, they, my Basically, the one note I wrote was Betty and Flash find the hero inside to fight off demons. There you go. Nicely done. And then the uh, the other one I had was the final power pack, which was uh, the aftermath of Inferno. Okay. Um, their parents are just like, their parents didn't handle the hey, my kids are power pack thing at all. And they're like super completely down and depressed they can't handle it, that their little kids are superheroes, they're falling apart, and uh, the new mutants come and visit them, and, like, their parents are like, and, you know, I'll, show you this, I'll show you this picture that no one on your podcast can see. Oh. It's like the mom. That's how, like, dark and depressed, and yeah. they're all messed up. Wow. 
So basically, um, the new mutants come and they use uh, the that gossamer character oh, from no. space <laughs> uses her powers to basically uh, um, mess with everything so that uh, the parents forget that they're power pack. Um, oh. So it's good. Basically, so they can go back to the pre-Inferno status quo as if nothing happened. Yeah. No consequences. I don't know. What's on the back cover there? That Spider-Man in a really cool quote-unquote jacket? Is, yeah, it's an advertisement for Marvel jackets. Oh, wow. Uh, that Spider-Man wearing a Marvel Comics Spider-Man jacket. Uh <laughs> For $75 each, wow. you can walk through your neighborhood in swinging style. <laughs> <laughs> they come in black, silver, and blue. Nice. Oh, actually, they come in black, silver, or spidey blue. Oh, and they very look nice. cool, too. I don't think I have that on any of mine. I would actually kill to get one of these now. I wonder how much they are. I feel an eBay search coming on later tonight. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right, cool. So that wraps up everything except for the X-Men story, which is going to alternate between X-Factor and Uncanny X-Men. Um, yep. And it's going to really, really focus on Madeline and Scott and Jean. Um, you know, it's, it's basically the resolution of the Goblin Queen and the baby and all that. So our first one is going to be X-Factor number 37. This is written by Louise Simonson with pencils by the great Walter Simonson, inks by Bob Wyacek, letters by Joe Rosen, and colors by Petrus Gotiz. Well, I've heard some people say on other podcasts, Tezzi. I don't know which one is right. But um, I like Scotiz because it sounds like a Seinfeld character, but... You know, whatever. Um, the cover, of course, is by Walter Simonson. And, um, again, costume aside, pretty great cover. The baby looks a little awkward, the way she's holding. So it's basically the Goblin Queen holding her baby up in the air, and down below are demons and X-Factor in a brawl. There's a pretty nice cover overall, I thought. Okay. Right. So here we go. Following Ileana's sacrifice to close the door to Limbo, X-Factor fight through demon remnants as Gene mentally tracks Cyclops' son. Techno-organic Naastery reappears and has the baby. X-Factor not has a baby, has like their baby. Well, is in possession. <laughs> All right. X-Factor are swallowed up by demon hordes as Neaster hands the baby over to Goblin Queen Madeline. Cyclops suddenly cares about his wife, or at least feels sorry for her, being taken over by demons. Not sure which one. <laughs> Maybe he just feels guilty more than actually cares. But um, anyway, Madeline calls Scott out for abandoning his family for Jean. He says he thought she was dead, but a uh, podcaster note, that was later. <laughs> So I'm not sure what he's talking about. Um, Madeline says, you wish. She sicks more demons on X-Factor. All the violence is upsetting the baby, naturally. Madeline tries to blast Jean, but Neaster intercepts, getting blasted instead for his troubles. 
As X-Factor fight back, he convinces her to savor her revenge, revealing to the reader his last plan of making Madeline his, or sacrifice her baby to reopen Limbo. Madeline has Jean's demon parents attack her. That must be horrifying. Um, as she spouts her hatred for Scott and Jean, she begins to come unhinged. She laments being a genetic breeder for Sinister and decides the best way to piss in everyone's Cheerios at once is to just kill the baby. Cyclops reluctantly agrees they have to protect the baby at all costs, even if it means destroying his wife that he never, you know, that he left. <laughs> After Madeline blasts them into a crater, Wolverine's arm grabs Jean. Gra- excuse me, let me do that again. They, they're in the crater. Wolverine's arm grabs Jean from off panel. And that's our Wolverine appearance. <laughs> so overall, the art was really good. And the story, man, there's a lot in here, but most of it is great. Um, I'm going to give X-Factor 37, 6 out of 6 claws. Uh, you didn't get a chance to actually read that one, did you? I did not. Oh, man, bummer. Um, we unfortunately did not have time to to mail comics back and forth. but um. <laughs> Although, actually, it turns out we probably did. In yeah. retrospect. <laughs> right? <laughs> And we've foreseen all the delays, which I guess at the beginning of the episode, I probably should have apologized for all that. But basically, it was just people in and out of town, me being a whole lot of sick, and um, just both of us being busy at work. So there you go. Um, All right, next up is, excuse me, a giant-sized spectacular Uncanny X-Men 242. You want to take the wheel on this one? Uh, sure, sure. So, um, cover. You've got uh, X-Men are still kind of doing the dark thing. On the top, you got a... Basically, Archangel kind of splits it into a top and bottom half, where the top half, you got members of the X-Men, Havoc, Storm, and Wolverine, just really dark and creepy and evil-looking. At the bottom, you have the members of X-Factor, kind of coming at you honestly it's kind of a for, for a giant size spectacular it's it's kind of a pedestrian i think cover really i i enjoyed it quite a bit i felt like it was a it's again it's weird i feel like the art on the inside of the comic is really detailed and clean and precise and this just feels it looks kind of sloppy to me oh, like man. it's a, just done Archangel. really quickly yeah i can see that Storm's hair is kind of weird, but I pretty much love everything else. So. I like Wolverine on the cover. I like yeah. his, uh, again, when he's in shadow and you just see, like, the white eyes and white teeth, Yeah, I think that always looks cool. Yeah, it does. It does. And actually, Havoc's fist looks cool, too, where it's just black with a white glow around it. Looks kind of cool, too. Yeah. All right, your, uh, your team for the book is the same, exact same team it's been. It's Claremont, Silvestri, Dan, and Glennis, <laughs> and Orkowski. Yeah. Uh, so the super, super, super high level is uh, Wolverine is going to smooch Gene. <laughs> Everyone's going to fight. Havoc's going to go to the dark side and side with the goblins. The X-Men are definitely not dead, and Nasty is going to explode again. Right. So that's your thousand-foot view. Yeah. Um, well, so you know, 
Havoc switched sides, obviously, because he's in love with Madeline and can't right. can't see all the, the crazy going on there. That, that's a tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just kind of to get into a few a few things as we go through. The opening panel is Wolverine just smooching the heck out of Gene. Yeah, pure shock factor this page here. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to open it and go, what? Right. Um, the second page is actually just great. It's a double-page spread. It's still both kissing. Teams. Do what? Still kissing. Yeah, still kissing. He's got her, you know, bent back like a like a 50s movie. <laughs> uh, The X-Men, and they are all infernoed out where their clothes are all ragged. Dazzler's still looking in a mirror. Yeah. Uh, Cyclops and Storm got really trampy when they got, um, you know, infernoed out. Then on the other side of the, the pages, you've got, you know, the uh, the X-Factor team kind of walking towards the middle. Uh, I, I, just, I love the art of the trees on this page. Yeah. It's just it's just really, really good. Some gnarly, barren trees. And Archangel looks amazing. Yeah, um, it's just super cool. Madeline's in street gonna... clothes, which is interesting. Say it again? Madeline is back in street clothes, which is interesting. Yeah, she's back in her flight suit. Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't do nothing. I'm just, I'm just a pilot. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh... So on page, the next page, we get the what I call the Wolverine effect. With that kiss, where Gene's like, "What? Get off me!" and scrams him. <laughs> They're basically he's been like kissing her for twenty seconds, and she's like, "Oh wait, what's going on?" I was totally lost in in your uh, your hair. Right. Um. And then yeah, you get like super Claremontian thought panel of it. He goes through the effects of the kiss on her. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, and basically this kicks off what is going to be pages and pages and pages of X-Factor versus X-Men. Right, but we start off with Wolverine versus Archangel, which is pretty nice. Um, we get, of course, yeah, he goes, he goes borderline berserker. Calls him Flyboy. Yeah, there's a panel of all... We're so. Obviously, Archangel shoots all his blades at Wolverine, and that's a nice panel where Wolverine's in shadow just getting sliced and diced. Um, then there's a part where we see um, Rogue is kissing Archangel, but she sees Apocalypse Angel, which was nice. Then, of course, we have Summers versus Summers, which is always fun because they can cut loose so they can't hurt each other, at least not with their powers. They hurt each other with words. <laughs> and Longshot and Dazzler do the the classic trope of they're fighting, she's pinned down, and next thing you know, they're making out. Right. And they're making out on the shoreline, which is, you know, right. it, even Basically, better. it's like the cover. There's some Jeff Bridges movie from like the 70s or 80s that that's the exact same cover. <laughs> except, except it's Jeff Bridges instead of Longshot. <laughs> Actually, I'd like to see Jeff Bridges play Longshot. Oh he my gosh! If Jeff Bridges now did like now, a Longshot solo Jeff movie, Bridges. yeah, it was just. 
someone get on that? Oh, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't mind that seeing continues. Then you get, you know, she's going to Goblin Queen out again um, eventually. But yeah, you go through a lot of angst. This is this is an angsty issue. It's it's good, but it is definitely the uh, everybody's got their internal conflict going on while they're fighting havoc. Oh my goodness, his costume. <laughs> There's something about this era of Claremont with between the Hellfire Club and this stuff. He loves putting men in little skimpy, torn up, like <laughs> dominatrix type clothing. Yeah. Because it happens a lot yeah. in the Claremont run. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. old rumors about him being into bondage and stuff. So who knows? Um, I I want to point out, though, from the, the for all the Cyclops supporters out there. Um, so Madeline kind of puts him in a position where he has to choose between... Saving Gene, right? And he still chooses to save Gene, even though not only is Madeline potentially in danger at this point, but she's holding the baby as well. So he basically chooses Gene again over both of them. So kind of want to have that out there. Um, then we we have uh, Iceman hits a long shot with a snowball. Um, 22 is another great Wolverine in shadow taking a swing at uh, Archangel. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, on the page before that, we have an errant snapped where I guess that's the sound of him slicing up Iceman's ice slide. Matches. Yeah, that shouldn't have been a snack. Yeah, it should have been something else. You got like to save the, the snicks and the snacks. Um, well, and then you're going to get a shrack on the next page. No, well, that's Archangel sound, so that that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. That that whole page, twenty-two. That whole page looks amazing. Yeah, it's a great page. And that, I mean, that's a great battle. I know yeah. that he's Archangel here, but they're still they're the polar opposite personalities of Warren and Wolverine right. going head to head is fun. And if you remember way way back, um, in the Claremont Burn Run. After the giant sized team kind of got situated and Angel came back to the team for a while, he quit because he couldn't be on the same team as Wolverine. Or that was part of the reason. And mm-hmm. so there's definitely like a lot of tension between the two naturally anyway. And then put him in this position and then you give Archangel his new powers. It's it's a it's a really great fight. Um I like that, you know, going back to your your speaking to Havoc's costume. I wrote on page 24, they have matching goblin rags. Yeah, they basically do. They, their costumes match. And then... The physics work a little better for him. Well, right, right. Because more stuff can fall and still fit the comics code. <laughs> um, yeah, some more fighting the demons. Um, more nasty. Yeah. We get a oh so once so once they kind of realize they're on the same team as as tends to happen, we get a pip squeak fastball special on thirty four, where Archangel throws Wolverine. Um, and that's nice. Um, and they're they're now fighting the the t- 
tower, which was the Empire State Building. <laughs> um, There's some greatness coming on 36 where uh, Iceman covers the whole bu- building in ice. Yes. And and Rogue and Dazzler are cold and they're all cozied up to Beast and the look on his face. Yes. I, I wrote <laughs> that like, was the hey, fir- girls. <laughs> yeah. Not to worry, lovely ladies. Right. Yeah. I wrote uh, that was the fur coat effect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just really made me chuckle. Yeah, I thought that that's was really the, great. It was very Sylvester fun side. Yeah, exactly. Um I wrote on 43, I wanted to, you know, we talk a lot about the art and the writing and, and with Gwyneth Oliver, especially the colors as well. I really want to point out on page 43, as Neaster is meeting his apparent demise again, that lettering is awesome. Yeah, that's Orzakowski at his best. Yeah. The letters are and again, kind of... this is still the era of hand lettering. So, I mean, right. this is all done by hand. Yep. And then we get an awesome last page framed by an awesome uh, WWF video game ad with Hulk Hogan ripping his shirt off. Um, yeah, they, the, the spread of the explosion with the uh, the city and the build, buildings are still kind of demonic and right. stuff. It's, it just looks rad. Yep. And then the last page is also great. We get another snicked. We get Cyclops about to blast some fools. And, um, yeah, just really, really, really good. And then the last... Yeah, and, the, and then it closes with the Goblin Queen has Jean with, like, a like an electric rope around her neck. Like, yeah. it's not over yet. Nope. Havoc by her side and the demon holding the baby. Who is red-haired now. I thought it was interesting. Um... So I thought the art was great. Um, I I thought the story was still really good. Maybe not quite as well paced as the X-Factor issue before it. But yeah, so what did you give Uncanny X-Men 242? So I also thought the art was really good. Um, kind of on par with this whole run. I... I felt like this went to a giant size spectacular only to extend the same stuff. Like it, it's not because there was more story to tell. Right. It was just, it was just more of that trope of heroes fighting heroes until they eventually get on the same team. Right. Uh, it was good. It was well done. And the fights looked great. Everything was good. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just burnt out from civil war two. <laughs> as I'm thinking about it but I don't know it's it's been done and it, it wasn't new back in 1989 it was done forever back then the heroes fighting heroes so right. they get on the same team so and story kind of dragged a little bit the art was great I'm gonna go four out of six okay well we're gonna we're gonna keep pace I'm gonna still be exactly one above you I'm not gonna do six but I am gonna do five out of six claws Fair enough. Yep. Oh, I did have the spectacular with Ned Leeds. That's funny. All right. Oh, we just had it in a different spot. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's probably about where I had it. The Night of the Living Ned. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, before we get to that, or we already did it. So, um, 
X Factor number 38, another giant size spectacular. This I'll tell is, you one thing, they certainly didn't scrimp on the, uh, you know, telling the story. No, not at all. So this is uh, the Simonsons again, writing and drawing. Uh, this one is each by Al Milgram, uh, lettered by Joe Rosen, and colored by Tom Vincent. This chapter is duet. On the cover by Simonson, we have Gene and Madeline either fighting or dancing, or possibly both. I don't know. I don't know if you got a chance to see this cover. I did not. That is one of the ones I do not have. Can you see it? Are you seeing it now? Oh, uh, huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're either fighting or dancing, but um, in the issue, it's clear that they're actually fighting. Um, <laughs> so, Madeline, again, remember, unhinged, she's going to go ahead and sacrifice that baby just to get back at Scott. She decides she'll destroy all the X-People as well. For reasons only determined by plot, the X-Men continue to fight X-Factor a little bit longer. We learn that Madeline used Nascent Powers to help Storm defeat Cyclops way back in number 201. So Cyclops would leave. In parentheses, I wrote, boo. <laughs> Not a big fan of this retcon. Um... Madeline doctored the news feed to make the X-Men not trust X-Factor. But she's killing a baby. Come on. <laughs> Cyclops versus Havoc. Gene versus Madeline. Archangel mows Havoc down with his wings. We find more about Maddie, the clone of Gene, Phoenix founder. The Phoenix gave her Gene's memories, or at least some of them. The Phoenix came back to Gene where it left her in the cocoon. But Jean rejected it. So it looked around until it found Madeline. And the Phoenix Force is actually what brought her to life, not Mr. Sinister's science. She was going to be another failed clone without this Phoenix spark. So we get some good Wolverine. He convinces Havoc that yes, Cyclops is a jerk face. But Madeline has gone demon dark and is no longer his lover. We walk through Madeline's story through the lens of Sinister's machinations. Cyclops nabs the baby. Madeline can't kill everyone, so she snuffs herself out. The Phoenix gene that was... What? Uh, another example of not being able to read my notes. The Phoenix gene that was... Return oh, okay, all right. Returns to gene with Madeline's passing... The last vestiges of Inferno disappear. So Jean gets some of her Phoenix powers starting to come back. The X-Teams regroup and decide to go after Sinister together. Um, the only thing I really had to say beyond that, um, there's a part where they're, they're trying to fight this protective shield and Cyclops and Dazzler and Havoc are all blasting it at full force. And for reasons I don't really understand, Wolverine is hugging Havoc. Like he's trying to hold him in place, but I don't know if Havoc needs that. It's very interesting. So, not sure what's going on there. 
Um, as far as the art, I mean, come on, it's, it's Simonson. Um, didn't enjoy the Simonson Milgram duo quite as much as the previous issue. Um, but still Simonson. Um, so the story, it took a little too long for the X-Men to come around, but this is big time stuff and I ate it up. So six out of six claws for me on X Factor number 38. Excellent. All right. So that brings us to the penultimate chapter, which is going to be Uncanny X-Men 243. Uh, Inferno part the fourth ashes. We do have a guest inker, Hillary Barta. Um, Joe Rosen does the letters this time. The, the great Joe Rosen. That's right. Um, and our cover is by Sylvester. What's on the cover, Andrew? All right, on the cover, you've got fire, a giant sinister head in hand. He's holding the X-Men and X-Factor. They're kind of dangling from his hand over the flames, trying not to fall in. Havoc's fallen in the fire. It's, 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 it's entitled Sinister Triumphant on the cover. Yep. Uh, it's an it's okay a cool cover. Oh, did you... You like this one better? Yeah, it's a good concept. I don't. I think Sinister's face looks a little weird. Yeah. Um, but uh, I like the concept that they're kind of. It actually fits really well with the storyline um, uh, when we get into that. So yeah, I, I did like this cover. Awesome. Well, speaking of the storyline, what happens in this next to last chapter? All right. So it opens. With a nice uh, Madeline Pryor's laying dead with Jean, you know, kneeling over her. Right. Um, it's a. Uh, it's on the rooftop. You got. Uh, yeah. So basically, that's how it opens. You come right into she's dead. Uh, it's. You got the X Men trying to pick up the pieces and X Factor. You got the naked Jean Grey parents covered <laughs> by a blanket. Um, you know, it seems like Inferno's over now, and this is this is where it's ending. Now Cyclops starts uh, crying, and oh, I should have saved you, Madeline. Now he's crying. Right, right. Um, Dazzler just doesn't care. She's just playing with the baby. Yeah. Um, Jean kind of freaks out, and this is basically going to go into great huge big mental psychic battle with mr sinister um that it's definitely not over um so you're gonna get about the first half of the issue is basically that it's a big psychic mental battle um sort of between gene gray and and mr sinister but it's got all of them on the psychic plane you even get some gene gray in her old marvel girl outfit yeah but I think once again, what uh, Mister Sinister didn't count on from the whether it's the uh, the clone or the original is how much power is in there, um, and basically she uh, she kind of blows up the whole mental battle. And it's actually really cool because the the first panel after it is Mister Sinister sitting in kind of a shattered throne, and Malice coming in to. Oh, rough time, sweetie. Things not go quite according to plan. And he's like, alert the others. We'll have company shortly. And that's when you realize he's been holed up at 
Professor Xavier's school this whole yeah, time. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, he's been using that as his base of operations. So then you're going to get the X-Men. They they decide to take the fight too sinister. So they go to the mansion, but it's a trap. they got to fight some dudes. And then, uh, including uh, including some pretty great Psylocke versus uh, Sabretooth fighting. Yeah, some rematch. Uh, yeah, that goes pretty cool. And then, explosion. It was all a trap. Sinister blows them all up. X-Men are all down for the count. It looks like it's going to be over. And then, who shows up to save the day on the last page? Long shot. (laughs) Every time you think a story's going really well, then the last one standing is long shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I do like... Well, well, I have lamented many times on this podcast, and not to belabor it, not a huge fan of Wolverine being in love with Jean, but I do like that during the psychic battle, there's some kind of astral projection stuff going on, and the two kind of anchors for Jean are Wolverine and Cyclops. So yeah. I think, I think emotionally that's important, um, and I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, so all the way on page 16, we get an awesome drawing of a crouching Wolverine as they show back up to the mansion. Um, just looks great. Um, I agree. Oh, there's a nice line on page 17, too, where Jean talks about how she wants to kill Sinister and says, and Scott says, she's acting more like Wolverine than Wolverine. I always like in stories when the bar for kind of <laughs> aggression is set for uh, at Wolverine. Yeah, um, that's that's where the violence bar is set. Yeah. So we do the have w, on page the WWWD bracelet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What would Wolverine do? What would Wolverine do? He would snick them. That's what he'd do. Uh, so Havoc kills again. Um. And he's not so tore up about it this time. So we have a, a kind of a turn in his character. There was that time where he had to kill someone and it about destroyed him. But now he's uh, losing Madeline has sent him over the edge. Um, you talked about the Psylocke Sabertooth battle. That's a great page. Um there's actually on that 26 is pretty cool too, where Polaris is about to just flay the flesh off of Wolverine's bones and, and Gene uh, steps in to save him right before the shards of metal get to him. Right. There's a page before that on page 24 where somewhere in the mansion, Gene cries out and uh, Wolverine's like, well, he's full of surprises. Didn't know she knew that kind of language. And Cyclops shoots him a dirty look over his shoulder and says, You're influenced, probably. And yeah, that's my Cyclops voice. <laughs> that's, that is kind of close to how I hear Cyclops in my head. <laughs> yeah, lots of good Wolverine just being, you know, a great fighter, a scrapper. Lots of great. I, I love towards the end when he's just sitting on the couch with his arms and legs crossed. 
Is he or is 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 his abdomen gone? Because it looks like he's standing up with no abdomen. Gazor's obviously sitting down. I think it's maybe like he's just kind of leaning back, like he's super reclined. Right. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the mansion blows up. Um, anything else you got on this one? No, that's it. All right. I thought the art and story were both really, really good. Um, I gave this one five out of six claws. Again, what did you give this one? I'm right there with you. I I actually really liked the psychic battle a lot. I thought it was really well done, uh, including some of the artistic touches with the confusion of of Madeline and Jean and the different costumes that were used. Um, uh, I thought it was great. So yeah, I'm with you. Five out of six. Awesome. Well, that brings us to our very last chapter, which is X Factor number 39. This is written by Louis Simonson. Walter Simonson did the pencils. Al Milgram, this time Alan Milgram, did the inks. Uh, letters by Joe Rosen. Gregory Wright this time does the colors. This is Ashes to Ashes. Um, the cover, of course, is by Simonson. Um, it's a tad sloppy, but it's still a pretty great cover. Um, Dark Wolverine looks strange, but... He looks weird. Yeah. Do you have this one? I have oh, this good, one. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay. Yeah, he looks... I, I don't understand what's happening with his mask. Yeah. Yep. I actually don't really like this cover at all. Oh, see, I think Cyclops looks great. And I think Beast and Colossus look pretty great, too. I'm not sure what Iceman is doing. He's, like, doing an ice prayer. But... Yeah, yeah I... <laughs> I this is, it just looks really sloppy to me. Right. The whole thing. Fair enough. And I, I like Simonson, but this is this is just looks sloppy to me. <laughs> All right. Well, what happens, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. The X teams come to and battle Sinister and Bad Polaris for Gene. Cyclops remembers a childhood encounter with Sinister. After the plane crash, Sinister had the Summers brothers brought to his orphanage. He had Alex adopted and was keeping Scott where Professor X came and got him. So he hatched his Madeline plan to get a Summers baby. But when the, but when the real Gene came back, he ditched Maddie. We find out Sinister made the Ruby Quartz glasses. I thought that was very interesting. But now he's focused on the baby. He doesn't care about mommy and daddy anymore. Um, Psylocke links the X-Peeps telepathically to come up with a plan. Archangel mows down Bad Polaris with his wings. Both teams attack Sinister and distract him so Storm can blow Gene away on the breeze. Like dust on the wind. Uh, Wolverine moves in for the kill, but um, but he smells Sabretooth and the Marauders. Wolverine puts them down in one stab. Havoc tries to piss off Cyclops, Longshot throws a blade at Sinister, um, but his luck, oh, but his luck is sour, and he hits Gene, who falls into Sinister's arms. 
I don't think I said that very clearly. Wolverine went in for the kill, but when he smelled Sabretooth and the Marauders, he went after them instead. And he put Sabretooth down with one stab, not Sinister. So, just to clarify what I said there. Um, But again, Longshot stabs Gene. Um, This is the last straw. Sinister tries to kiss Gene, and Cyclops blasts him into bones as Beast hops in and grabs Gene away. The Marauders, of course, slip away, and the X-Teams go back to their separate ways. Happy endings all around, kind of. Yeah, I thought it was a very, very abrupt ending (laughs) to such a a long arc, and then it was really abrupt. Right. Yeah. So we get a lot here. Um... The, the kind of Dazzler holds his... Or not that <laughs> Mr. Dazzler, uh, Longshot, holds his ground for a while, but of course the X-Men wake up and, and take it to him. I thought the colors were a little muddy in this issue. Um, not as... Obviously not up to Glennis Oliver's standard. Um, I thought a lot of the art was just bad, too. Yeah, I know it's hard to say that. It's Walter Simonson. Yeah, it looked rushed. I thought a lot of it just was bad. Yeah. Um, a lot of man face on the women. Uh, yeah, just, just kind of just not good. Right. Actually, a lot of man face on the women. Yeah. <laughs> and, but my favorite is on 25. When I don't know what's going on with Havoc here. He's got his hands on his hips and his his legs kind of sashayed. <laughs> he's like, well, well, well. Um, and then he makes an Elvis mouth. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, I do want to go back. Choice. Yeah, I do want to go back to page sixteen. We get a really nice close up on Wolverine's eyes. Where everything's dark, but you can still see his pupils. I thought that was really cool looking. So that was yeah. a, that was an exception. There's also something that we haven't seen yet. So we get a Wolverine first in this issue. We have seen where he's able to do like a claw at a time. So that's not new. But in this panel here, he releases all three claws at different speeds. Yeah, which is where new. It's got and three I, different lengths going. Yeah, and we haven't seen that yet, and I don't think we see it very often after this. So I don't know if people are like, eh, maybe we shouldn't do that or what. But but Simonson did here, and he uses it because Wolverine's popping his claws, but he uses the front claw to tap Storm and kind of wake her up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for all the awesome. Wolverine and shadow panels we had with Silvestri, we get a terrible one on page 17. Yep. Where his lips are really highlighted. And and I don't really want to go there, but the way it's drawn and colored kind of makes it look like Wolverine has blackface, which just looks really poor taste. And he's also got, like, really chubby face. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I I feel like the art is... If you didn't know it was Walter Simonson, I think we'd be really bagging on this art a I think, lot. Yeah, probably so. It's it's just not good. Look on 24. Look at Dazzler's face. 
He looks like RuPaul. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And having space, and he looks like he's 12. <laughs> and he suddenly looks like Dennis the Menace or something. Yeah, it's just, it's weird, man. It's not, it's not good. Right. I thought I thought within the story it was interesting to find out the whole Cyclops was mentally blocked by Sinister as a child. Right. And all of that stuff. That was, I mean, that was interesting stuff. But I also wrote on page eighteen, no, 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 Cyclops, you don't get you don't get to blame Sinister for being a deadbeat dad. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. We get page 22 where the panel of Wolverine sniffing is actually really great. That's another yeah, one. Yeah, his, his eyes. That was one thing I do like is a lot of times when you would get Wolverine's face blacked out like that, you just get the wide eye. I kind of like that uh, they mixed in the actual eye. Yeah, and some blue line in the shot to make shadows so you see his features. Uh, but then page 24, besides your horrible faces... I also think this is kind of an unforgivable sin. So we have, you know, Wolverine's going after Sinister. He smells Sabretooth, goes after Sabretooth instead. We get a snicked, and then we get an off-panel skirmish where all we see, where we go to your terrible faces, then we go back to what is actually a pretty nice snack, and then we have Wolverine standing over Sabretooth. And we know that fight is never easy. But in two panels that we didn't even get to see, Wolverine takes Sabretooth out. So I, I was not a fan of that. Yep. I, I Again, I understand editorially that this story couldn't handle like a four-page battle between the two. But if that's the case, then just skip it all together. Or I don't, I don't know. I just, I or don't... have them engage two pages earlier, and then now you get the conclusion, and you right. still don't show anything. But you know it's been going on a while. Right. At least make it feel like it happened. Like this literally feels like Wolverine's like, "I got you, Sinister." <laughs> Sabretooth snicked. Hey, look, it's Tazor and Longshot. Oh, look, Wolverine killed Sabretooth. Ta da! I don't know. I just didn't like it. Sabretooth gets taken out a lot through this series. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan now, of that. Was he like a full-on known, you know, hardcore bad guy at this point? Or was he, yes. I think he was, because you was. already had the Mutant Massacre and all that yep. stuff. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, the it's panel was... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm saying it was a weird choice. Yeah. The panel of Cyclops and Blasting Sinister is really great. Yeah, that actually is where it's like the bones and the shattering skeleton and that's good stuff. Yeah. So I have a question, Andrew. All's well that ends well. The X-Men, they destroy Sinister, save the day. Um, Talk about how, you know, we're sad we lost Madeline, but at least we saved the baby. Um, Where's the baby? Because the last time I see the baby, let me let me document this here. Is Dazzler supposed to be holding the baby whenever they're going up in the air? Because that's weird that she would have the baby. Yeah, but then she shows up in the rubble later. 
Is the baby what? even in this issue at all? Maybe they left the baby with like Gene's parents. Okay. Maybe so. You know, one little line of dialogue could have sewn that right up. <laughs> that would have, I mean, that would have made more sense. That must have happened. Cyclops, looking at Cyclops' dad track record, I'm surprised he didn't just put him in like one of those strap-on baby <laughs> carry things. Just take him with him. X-Men the Hangover. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Yeah, they must have left him with the, the naked parents. That's the only thing that makes sense. Um, all right, what else you got? I, I mean, I know that Inferno proper more or less had already ended by this point. This was more the sinister tie-in, Madeline tie-in kind right. of conclusion. But I don't know. It built to this big thing. I really felt like it was a sudden, abrupt ending. Like it just needed a little more epilogue after Sinister's blasted, not two pages, right? To to tie things up a little bit better. Um, I, like I said, I really did not like the art in this, this issue, um, at all. I thought it alternated between really, really terrible and really, really great, which is a weird place to, to be. Cause there's some really fantastic panels, but there's some panels. that's like, how did that get past editing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, our, our good friend Al Milgram's involved. We, he's uh, he's the inker. He's he's known for being a part of really, really great panels and then really, really bad panels true. in the same issues. That's true. Maybe this is all his fault. It could be. Could be. So, yeah, uh, story was, I mean, it was good. I, I thought there was some interesting. I, I do like how throughout this they interweaved, interwove, inter into the backstory of so many of the X-Men Yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. That's classic Claremont. Yeah. No, he okay. didn't write this, so... <laughs> he was, but it's, hey, he was here in the shadows all the time. Right. Um, I thought that was cool. Uh, in general, I liked it. Didn't like the art as much. Yeah. As a conclusion, I felt a little bit just kind of let down. Um, right. Like, I guess it's over. <laughs> I mean, Master blew up several times and kept coming back. Is, is that going to happen? You know? Um, yeah, I was a little bit let down. I, this one for me ended with a three out of six. Oh, Kind of wow. ended on a bit of a low note. Okay. Well, we'll, well, we agreed on one issue. We'll go back to our original trend. I'm going to be exactly one above you. I'm going to give it four out of six claws. I, I thought the art, like I said, alternated... Not the story. I agree with you. Not a great ending. But up until the part where Sinister gets blasted, I enjoyed the story quite a bit. And so, you know. yeah, no, the story. It, right, it was for me. It was the ending. It yeah. just it it ended uh, a little bit of a letdown. But right. the story up to that point, I liked a lot. Agreed. Okay, so, um, Inferno overall. Um, you know, it was really, it had all its kind of tie-ins. It was, it was really kind of two, two stories. There was a story of Limbo trying to take over the world with the demons, Mm -hmm. um, which focused heavily on kind of the new mutant side of the universe. 
And then there was the story of Madeline and Scott and Gene the Sinister, which was kind of the climax with the X-Teens, uh, X-Factor and X-Men. Um, so really, um, I thought, you know, this is a lot... This is my first time to read any of this except for X-Factor and X-Men. I'd read that part before. All of the rest of this was new to me. Um, well, and the Amazing Spider-Man issues. I'd read those because I've probably read the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man run a dozen times. Um, just because it's one of, my, one of my favorites. Um, but yeah, you know, I grew up kind of always bagging on in Limbo and magic and all that stuff I actually kind of came to think it was kind of fun this time yeah it's good stuff and that the story the the drama with madeline and the baby and scott and gene and sinister that's like that's that's just classic great x-men material uh-huh. so it, it was really good overall um I, I enjoyed this event quite a bit. Yeah, I thought the the thing that this event did that a lot of events fail at is that it, it you know uh, a lot of events they'll run through like they've got like one main core group that it's running through and it's tied to, and everything else is really ancillary. In this situation, they really tied it to multiple teams, multiple stories, multiple ongoing stories, you know, with, with X-Factor, with X-Men, with New Mutants, um, with the Exterminators who were tied to X-Factor and then become tied to New Mutants. Right. Um, and they took stories that were going on in each of those series, weaved them into this story and, and kind of back out again in a way that was much more... I think true to each of those books versus right. we've got an event, you know, running in this one book. So these other three books are going to kind of play along. Um, it was really integrated really well and built and built up for a long time before it kicked off. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so overall thoughts on Wolverine's participation. Uh, it wasn't well, really his story. So no, it wasn't his story. He he acted like Wolverine of this era. Yeah, you know, uh, he had, he had his big moment. He got to to make out with Gene. I'm right. sure that was. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure Team Wolvie was cheering and, and you know going out in their t-shirts. Right. Uh, <laughs> celebrating. Oh man. Um, but yeah, that, you know. He goes berserk. He gets to fight. He gets to get mad. He says his lines. He beats up Sabretooth. He basically hits all of the Wolverine beats. Yeah. Um, throughout this, it's it's not as, as centered around him as some of the other kind of classic arcs of a similar time period, like the Hellfire Club and some of those things. Right. Um, but he definitely shines throughout. He, yeah. He's a while he's not essential. He's very, very memorable. Right, definitely. And I think, um, you know, the emotional impact of kind of coming face-to-face with Gene again, you know, he kind of had the, the scenarios where he, he caught her scent and was suspicious of her being alive, but then he wasn't sure maybe his 
his senses were fooling him, though they don't usually do that. So I think deep down he knew what the truth was, but then kind of being confronted with her in person had to have been pretty, you know, emotionally stressful. And then, you know, finding out, you know, the original X-Men were X-Factor. So there's there's a whole... You know, it's funny because they don't... They kind of underplay that a little bit with kind of X-Factor and the X-Men kind of discovering each other. You know, mm-hmm. X-Factor thought the X-Men were dead. The X-Men had no idea the X-Factor was who they were. You know, and so that all kind of comes out in the open and, you know, we're getting pretty close to everyone kind of going back to being X-Men again. We're not too far, just a couple of years away from the gold and blue teams, but, um, yep. It's yeah. not far away at all from that. Yeah. And so this was uh this was what 80 Inferno was 89, right? 89 yeah, to 90. 89. Yeah. So yeah, we're getting close. Yep. Awesome. Well, Most any... of the X-Men cartoon. Yeah, that's right. All right, any closing thoughts? I liked it a lot. Oh, are we going to do a rating for the whole uh, series oh. as a whole? Yeah, we can. Um, I think I would do, if you count every single issue on the reading list as contributing to the overall score, I think I would give Inferno from start to finish four out of six claws. I would actually do the same if we cut out the ancillary and just stuck with like the the four core titles. I'd probably go five out of six. I probably would too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even though the Spider Man and stuff was good, it's not. It's it's not essential. The Power Pack's not particularly good. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, how do you want to wrap this up? Uh, I mean, I think. I think this is recommended reading for any mutants fan. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm, I'm hoping maybe maybe this gets you interested in uh, going on the new mutants journey, starting all the way back at one. We will see. We will see. I've been getting that advice from John Wilson as well. So it's it's really it actually is really really good. It uh, you know, I mean, essentially, you know. The, you get all the excitement of early, early X-Men, but written by Claremont instead of Stan Lee, which is a lot more fun to get <laughs> the early the early mutants trying to learn about their powers and figure it out and all of that. Um, but you get it written by Claremont, which is... I, and I, I love me some Stan Lee, but as far as just plot writing... Right. Uh, and a uh, dialogue writing, Claremont is, is a step up. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe not necessarily plot because I shouldn't really attribute too much plot to Stanley since that was the <laughs> artist plotting <laughs> the majority of it. But uh, the Marvel, the mighty Marvel method, mighty Marvel method, yeah. so controversial and so great. Yeah, um, yeah, I uh, I like it. I like Inferno a lot. I think this is this is good reading. It's a good story. Even if you're, I'm I'm not a Limbo fan either. I kind of get tired of it too. Um, I felt that this really transcended that, and it's a really good story. I agree. Uh, yeah, that's a really good way to say it. Yep. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on and do this. We actually stayed pretty much within our target time. So hey, <laughs> woohoo! Right, save me some editing. <laughs> but um. 
Yeah, so thanks very much for coming on. Um, you have anything you want to plug, talk about? Why don't you give your Twitter to, to folks? Uh, what is it? Uh, not not dead now? I think so, I think. yeah. Maybe, there's maybe some underscores in there. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, basically, I just tweet little drawings every now and then. That's about it. Yeah. So... Uh, that, that's, uh, I don't have anything exciting going on. Just, All right. Cool. Just, just working and living. Yeah. Why don't you remind people where, where, uh, where they can find your wife's books? Uh, so you can go out to Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, any of the, uh, any of the carriers of, of books, <laughs> uh, look at AC Autry, letter A, letter C, Autry, A-U-T-R-Y. Uh, she's got two books out there, uh, supernatural fiction, realistic fiction, not realistic. Uh, yeah, supernatural, like yeah. modern, modern fantasy kind of fiction. Uh, it's good times. Good fun. Awesome. And, uh, what are those books called? Uh, the book one is ransom of the healer and book two is rise of the seer. Yep. And, so there's, uh, there's it's part titles. of an ongoing series with more to come. Yeah, so there's some titles for you guys to go check out. Um, uh, go support independent writers. So that's important. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so as as far as what's next, I don't know for sure whether we'll do a regular episode or a flashback episode. The next flashback, whenever it comes, will be the aftermath of Inferno. We'll talk about some kind of cheesy stuff that happened right after this. <laughs> And for those of you who love damage control, you'll be you'll be happy. Um, as far as the podcast, please, as usual, like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Email us Snickcast at yahoo.com. Um, website, that's what's next. With show notes and stuff is snickcast.podbean.com. And um, until next time, hugs and snicks, everybody. Thanks, Andrew. You are welcome. Thank you. All right. One more time. Burn, baby, burn. Marble Inferno. Burn, baby, burn. Burn. Marble Inferno. Ah, yeah. And snapped.